0: Well, hey, everyone, and welcome tonight to another uh, episode of Your Questions, God's Questions. This is March the 8th, 2021. Happy International Women's Day. And I would encourage you right off the bat here to hit the share button on this broadcast. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, this is content that you are going to want to share so let re- me remind you to do that if you've got uh friends who uh have questions about the Bible, about the gospels, we are moving into Easter and uh it's always a great time to to examine the story of Easter, look at the gospels, look at the New Testament and uh so we're going to cover this tonight. I have a feeling it'll probably not finish tonight and we'll need to do a couple of weeks on this um but i really want to challenge you to to share it uh this is great for non-christian people people of different religious views people who just have in general questions uh about the story of jesus and about the the story of easter uh which um we're going to celebrate easter of course uh, april the 4th i think is easter this year um, so uh, we're going to get right into the question today, uh, tonight, and I would um, invite you to put your comments, uh, uh, any other questions that you have in the comments section, and uh, any prayer requests that you have. We always pray at the end, So, uh, but we're going to get right into it tonight, in a, and I uh, hope you're going to learn something. Uh, this is a really critical question that we're dealing with why should i trust the the four gospels i'll put it in quotes for you okay why should i trust the gospels when i say the four gospels i mean matthew mark luke and john from the bible's new testament and um we call these the gospels uh gospels a word an old english word that uh has its roots in the term good news And so we call these the four Gospels. This is the information that we have about Jesus. Um, Without the four Gospels, we really don't have much at all. Um, We do have some references that uh, come from outside the Bible about Jesus, his existence, about the church. um, And they are interesting, but very scant. Uh, So we can learn that there was a Jesus who... People worshipped as God, who was crucified under uh, Emperor Emperor Tiberius. Tiberius, yes, and uh, that uh, uh, the church was birthed, and we can learn all this from non-Christian sources. It's true. We can learn about uh, communion, even we can learn about how the early believers were persecuted. Uh, but we really don't learn much about Jesus at all just from that. So all of our information comes from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, there are other so called gospels that I won't get into in uh, this content, uh, that are not regarded as, um, as with the same uh, authority or seriousness as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's various reasons for that. But we want to just look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, that's enough. Uh, can we trust the Gospels? When we read the story of Jesus, is this really trustworthy? Because if it's not, then uh, we're trying to believe something that really doesn't have much basis uh And it's not really that reasonable for us to believe, so uh this is this huge, huge question, a huge issue uh Young people struggle with this as they get older. You know it's easy to go to church when you're when you're a young person, you have no choice. your parents bring you, but the older you get, the more you start thinking about, well, do I really believe this? Is this really making a difference in my life? Um, and sometimes uh, they walk away, people walk away from the faith because of these questions that are never answered. Uh, So this is a huge one. Can we trust the four Gospels? So I'm going to put some slides on the screen for you, and uh, this is why I tell you to share. Uh, You're going to find this very, very easy to follow, and um, it's easy for people who have no knowledge of it whatsoever to follow. When we talk about Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let me get my slides working here. Yeah, when we talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have to figure out, first of all, what is this? What are these four Gospels? Where do they come from? How do we have them? We have to answer some basic questions like that. So I'm going to put this chart um, on your screen here and make some comments and boy, I don't see any comments coming in. Tell me, who are you? The two of you who are on, who are you? Where are you watching from? Um, yeah, Put any comments or questions you have, okay? Don't be shy. So um, uh, this little chart, and these are years, okay? So 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, that's A.D. So A.D., uh, the year of our Lord, after Jesus was born. Um, So w- when we talk about the Gospels, we're talking about literature that's 2,000 years old, allegedly. And, uh, we have to, we have to figure out, well, my goodness, I mean, it's 2,000 years old, centuries old, and we're trusting this as reliable. Uh, why, why would we do that? Where do they come from? Um, so when we, when we try and date them, which is a huge, huge piece of this puzzle, uh, that's where it starts getting interesting because um, if you think about it you know you have these people who who um, write if you've read Matthew Mark Luke and John they they write as if they were eyewitnesses as if they were there and um, that they had intimate knowledge of the details that they were writing about Uh, so when you think about that uh, you have to say all right well how old are these things i mean we're looking at them now but how old are they really where they come from and all that kind of stuff so uh, i put a little red cross on your screen there I'll go like this and show it to you yeah this little red cross okay this is this is the crucifixion of jesus and again uh this is not something that we only find in the new testament this is referred to a couple of times by non-christian writers nobody has any reason to doubt that jesus existed and that he was crucified so we'll put this uh for reference just at this date here uh here yeah so this is like 33 some people place it earlier but i'll put it over here just for reference sake okay and um because when we when we try and date the gospels we have a rather interesting problem in that we're not 100% sure uh when they were written okay so i'm going to show you how this is done and everything i'm going to put on the screen here this is not uh you know me trying to force this or wish this to be true these are basic facts that you can verify Non-Christian scholars uh, or or skeptics uh, who are scholars will attest to these things as well. They're not really going to deny them, but they still don't believe the Gospels. Uh, but uh, they still aren't going to deny what I'm going to tell you, okay? So uh, the the way we date Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is actually by looking at the writings of Paul. Uh, because Paul, we can date, and we can date with basically 100% certainty. And we can date Paul because of little minute details that are in the book of Acts in the New Testament. So you say, well, why are you talking about Paul and why are you talking about the book of Acts when we're trying to talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, because they're all connected. And when you can date Paul, and you date Paul using the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, then you can start to put together a framework for when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written, okay? We know with basically 100% accuracy that Paul's letters were written in this time frame here from like 4950 to about 68. You say, well, how do we know that? How can you be so sure? Well, there's a few things, few reasons. So we say Paul's writing from the year 50 to the year 68, uh, how do we know? Well, there's a couple of ways that we, we draw a little timeline with Paul. And that's because in the book of Acts, if you've read the book of Acts, and also uh, those of you who... Uh, oh, good comments coming on. Let's see what we got here. Let's see what we got here for comments. Bless you, Viano. Great, Great to have you on tonight. And bless you, Patrick. Great to have you on tonight as well. Uh, yeah, so uh, when we look at the book of Acts, if you've read it, and by the way, most people who say they don't believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, um, ask them if they've read them. <laughs> because a lot of people who say, I don't believe the Bible, ask them if they've actually read it. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and for that matter, the whole New Testament. There's a lot of people make all kinds of claims, especially on the internet, but they haven't actually read what they're saying isn't True. Also, a lot of people in the church have not read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and have not read the New Testament for themselves. So, uh, that's just another thing. When you read the book of Acts, you're going to find all kinds of little, seemingly insignificant details that are boring. You wonder why they're there. But we can, when we look at it, we can ask ourselves all kinds of questions and we can actually fact check some of these things, many of these things, actually, in the book of Acts. And we have two when it comes to the writings of Paul. The first one is in Acts chapter 18, uh, uh, in verses 1 to 2, and the second one is Acts chapter 18, verse 12. And the uh, last one relates to when Paul was uh, martyred, put to death. So Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 1 to 2, you got a little detail here uh, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Hmm. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. It's really insignificant. You say, well, well, who cares about these people, Aquila and his wife and some expulsion from Rome under Emperor Claudius? Well, it just so happens that we can confirm the expulsion of the Jewish people uh, from Rome in the year 49 through the first century uh, historian Suetonius. And uh, this is a detail that recorded for us in a non-Christian history book. And here you go, presto, uh, Luke is talking about the same thing. the two of them coincide. You can corroborate what Luke is saying with something that's totally outside the Bible, fact of history. Um, the Jews were expulsed from Rome in the year 49. Aha, so that means that Paul arrived in Corinth in no later than the year A.D. 50. Um, and we know that he started writing to the Corinthians immediately after, or pretty well immediately after he arrived there. And so we we put that together. Again, even uh, uh, non-Christian uh, New Testament scholars will agree that Paul started writing Corinthians fairly quickly after he arrived there. So then you skip down to verse 12 of chapter 18, and you see another little detail. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into the court. Little minutiae detail. Who's this guy, Gallio? Well, it just so happens that archaeology has turned up an inscription that indeed confirms Gallio's one-year appointment in uh, as proconsul in Achaia in the year 51 so paul is definitely writing the book of first corinthians in the year 50 and this is put together by two sources that are not from the bible at all not from the new testament at all this is all so-called secular history things that really happened that you can dovetail very nicely in luke's um account and galatians could have been written even earlier some say than Corinthians. It could have been written in the year 48. That's really, really early. So if you're going to lie about something, if you're if you're going to say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not reliable uh, witnesses to what they experienced, what they wrote about, um, and then you have to say, well, why would they write so early? And you'll well, get to how early they wrote in a moment. But if you're going to write down something uh, and you're going to lie about it, you'd be, you'd be wiser to wait a little while. (laughs) You'd be wiser to wait until, you know, the people who could say you're a liar are no longer around. And then you could write it down, you know, wait, wait, uh, wait 40, 50 years. Uh, so you could, you know, invent something. Uh, but if you're writing it down really quickly, while people are alive, who could confirm what you're writing is true or false, hmm, that's, that lends some credibility to what you're writing, right? Um so that's how we get the initial date of uh of when Paul wrote and then we can move to Acts chapter 25 again using Luke as a reference and you got Paul on trial before uh Festus and you can read it for yourself but we know that Festus arrived in Judea, again, from the non-Christian history. We know that he arrived in Judea in the year 60, and he dispatches Paul to Rome to, to face the Roman authorities, where he would eventually, eventually, he would die at the hands of Emperor Nero in the year 68. So that's the latest that he could have written. So that's why we get this this chart here that I've shown you where we can confirm this is when the Apostle Paul wrote. Okay, this is really, really important for you when you date Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Now I've got dotted lines on your screen over here that you can follow. These dotted lines, this is the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple three years before from 67 to 70 the 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 romans took siege of jerusalem and eventually destroyed it destroyed the temple in the year 70 it was like the end of the world it was like the apocalypse took place and um uh, they would have thought that it's interesting that jesus himself it's recorded for us in the gospels that he predicts the destruction of the temple very interesting um and it happens in the year 70 you can go and visit the temple remains today there's basically nothing left except a, an outer retaining wall that they call the wailing wall sometimes where uh people go and pray the jews go and pray there that's sort of the last remaining piece uh of the temple but it's a retaining wall And the temple has never been rebuilt since because it was destroyed by the Romans. This is a key date because it is never referred to a single time by anyone in the New Testament. Never. They never write about it. Um, And it's the biggest event in the first century. It's the cataclysmic event in Judaism. The temple was destroyed. The place of worship was destroyed The worship system was therefore destroyed and none of them, almost all of them, Jewish writers, talk about the destruction of the temple. Why not? Well, the most likely reasonable answer is it hadn't happened yet when they were writing. And lo and behold, we can put Paul's writings between 50 and 68, makes sense that he wouldn't talk about it because it hadn't happened yet. You know, if they're going to fake a story, they might as well make their prophet look good. Why not Why not uh, mention the destruction of the temple? Because it would make Jesus look like a true prophet. He predicted the destruction of the temple. Well, because it hadn't happened yet. Um, so it, again, it's interesting detail. And here's another little uh, piece of the puzzle. The New Testament itself, uh, the whole thing, you know, all 27 books of the New Testament, they're all these little books, some of them very small, some a little larger. These things start being quoted and preached on by the early church. This early first one, first appearance is about ninety six, and you have so it's sermon after sermon after sermon in the early church fathers. This is post Book of Acts, so from uh, uh, you know way after the mid sixties, uh, you have you have the early church fathers. I'll talk about a couple of them tonight, maybe if we get to, if we get to it. Um, and so, uh, you could actually rebuild the entire New Testament just from the preaching of the early church starting as early as 96. That's how quickly they were preaching the contents of the New Testament. It is super, super fast. Uh, that they were doing this. So again, if you're going to whip up a story, boy, you should wait a little while if you're going to lie about it. Um, And if you're going to be an unreliable witness, you should wait. So it's interesting. This is how quickly the quotes start appearing. And so what we can do with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is we say, well, We're not sure exactly of the dates of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can say they're pre-AD 70 because they don't talk about the temple. Um, But let's just give the skeptic the benefit of the doubt and say, well, they've got to be somewhere here. They've got to be somewhere between, you know, a little after 33 AD when Jesus was executed to 96 because they start appearing in the church fathers preaching this early. Uh, So, you know, that that, by deductive reasoning, therefore, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have got to be written somewhere here. Now, I would contest that they're written pre-A.D. 70 because they don't talk about the destruction of the temple or the siege in the city, the biggest events in Jewish history in the first century. So uh, that's because they hadn't happened yet. But again, we'll give the skeptic the benefit of the doubt. So this is what you have: you have this stuff being written so, so, so early, and being circulated within the lifetime of the people who experienced the events. If you're gonna, if you're gonna be a reliable witness, that's fine. If you're gonna be an unreliable witness, you should wait a little while. They didn't wait; they wrote it down right away. The copies of the New Testament that we have, uh, because we don't have the originals, this is how quickly we start seeing little copies of them. They can be little tiny shreds, or they can be full manuscripts of uh, of a book of the Bible. Uh, we see them as early as about 100 A.D. There's a little bit of debate about this. Even some non-Christian New Testament scholars Uh, say that there's manuscripts that are even earlier, but let's just say about 100 A.D. you start to see these things. That's so, so, so early. There's nothing in the ancient world uh, of that time that in terms of literature that uh, circulates so quickly as the new testament does that mean matthew mark luke and john are true no it doesn't prove that they're true but it sure proves that they wrote that stuff down really 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 fast there was an urgency to communicate the message so we can date it extremely early our four alleged witnesses to the events in question we can date them very very early in uh in time eh, very very close to the events that took place okay that's pretty impressive doesn't prove it's true but it's pretty impressive uh what i would um uh, what i'm going to go into i'll just spend a few minutes on it tonight but we'll we'll have to continue this next week such a critical subject um those of you who are part of our church you should have a um subscription to right now media it's the biggest bible study streaming service i think in the world now and they have a uh, uh, content that is growing like every day and on right now media you should watch the little series called cold case christianity with j warner wallace and I'm going to use uh, some of the premises in his uh, work. He's written several books, um, and uh, I'm going to use some of that as we go through this. A- and you should watch it. They're not long, but they're going to give you um, uh, a lot of food for thought. Jay Warner Wallace is a, co- a former cold case a homicide, a cold case is a homicide that's not solved, investigator out of California. And he was uh, an atheist, he was a skeptic, and was challenged um, by somebody to look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with the same rules that he would apply in a cold case. And in a cold case, uh, you're trying to solve a murder where, Uh, the witnesses have passed away sometimes, you have very little to go on, and you have to establish whether or not you have anything credible, you have to put together all kinds of lines of evidences and all of that, you have to get into a courtroom, and what he did was, uh, to satisfy his own curiosity, is he took the same principles and applied them to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Are these people reliable witnesses? Let's pretend that that the story of Jesus is a cold case, and let's treat it as a cold case, and let's see if these four alleged witnesses stand up to the tests that would take place in a courtroom. And he was stunned to discover that uh, they do and uh, so he became a christian reluctantly not because of not because of any other reason except he had demonstrated to his own satisfaction that the gospels were trustworthy and that these witnesses were reliable uh, enough to make a reasonable decision um, of faith and so you cannot you cannot prove uh... the bible to be true this way but you certainly uh... bless you jackie good to see you tonight uh... but you certainly can um, uh... have a, a case to build conviction uh... for the things that you believe and uh... so he he he's a christian now because of his work on matthew mark luke and john as a forensic in a forensic way as a cold case investigator fascinating guy And uh, you will love the way that he that he presents the material. Um, And uh, so I would highly, highly recommend that you watch this on Right Now Media. If you need an account, contact me and I will um, set you up with that. Uh, So he's got he's got four criterion for establishing the reliability of uh, witnesses and uh it, this would be in a cold case and uh so the first one and i guess we'll do just the first one tonight is were these supposed eyewitnesses um to whatever took place were they actually there so were they eyewitnesses to the events Were were they present uh, yeah, that would be a pretty reasonable thing to, to ask, right? When you're talking about whether or not a witness is trustworthy, well, were they actually there? Uh, there's some debate about who wrote Matthew, who wrote Mark, who wrote Luke, who wrote John. Uh, you know, and some some uh, critics will say, well, if you don't even know who wrote them, how can you trust them? Um, well, the, the, the point is not specifically who wrote them, but were they there? Were they eyewitnesses to what they were claiming and what they are claiming in their uh, testimony? And so um, the the answer to this particular test is quite easy because we've already established it in our little timeline there. Uh, so for example, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, Peter, uh, that's the apostle Peter, and Paul's deaths are not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. In fact, they're not recorded in the entire New Testament. Uh, The siege and destruction of the temple are not recorded or mentioned at all. And yet other things are. So uh, James Zebedee's execution is mentioned. And uh, that took place, I think, uh, in the year 44. Uh, Why is that mentioned and yet the pillars of the faith, James, Peter, Paul, their deaths are not mentioned. One would think that those folks, their deaths would be mentioned if the uh, if the Gospels were written at a later date. Uh, but they're not mentioned at all, as if they never took place. The destruction of the temple, uh, not mentioned at all. The siege of Jerusalem, not mentioned at all. Why? Because most likely they hadn't happened yet. Adds weight to again, an early date, and we can establish this very well by looking at when Paul wrote, looking at when the preaching of, the, of the, the contents of the New Testament started, looking at these manuscripts. So the early dating shows that whoever was writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were clearly there. They were present they were eyewitnesses or knew people very well who were eyewitnesses to the events in question. And this really is established because the date is so early. Uh, in Luke's case, you know, he identifies himself. In John's case, he gets identified a little bit later um, by uh, the early church. Uh uh, Mark gets identified as the as the sort of uh, penman of the apostle Peter. Uh, so, but regardless of whether or not one wants to debate, well, who specifically wrote this? We have to say that whoever did, they were there. They experienced it. They definitely fit the bill of were they present? Okay, uh, we'll do one more uh, tonight, and uh, then we'll finish. Uh, the next test that, that J. Warner Wallace uses, and by the way, um, just comes to mind you want to look up the name of uh, of a fellow by the name of Simon Greenleaf. Uh, Simon Greenleaf was one of the founders of Harvard Law School, and uh, I think this is uh, 1700s, 1800s. Simon Greenleaf uh, went out to disprove the the story of Jesus and Christianity and the Gospels and so on. And um, he ended up becoming a Christian, wrote a, a great book called The Testimony of the Evangelists, where his contention, very similar to J. Warner Wallace in the 21st century here, where his contention is that in a court of law, uh, the Gospels would stand up as being reliable testimony. Fascinating the founder or one of the founders of harvard law school okay saying that so uh test number two were they corroborated so in other words you have these people these testimonies uh and these supposed witnesses to these supposed events well were they corroborated by anything and um Uh, We have what you call an internal corroboration and an external corroboration, okay? So an internal corroboration is when you have two witnesses and they corroborate together. So one witness says one thing, it doesn't really make sense what the one witness is saying, but then when you talk to the other witness, the other witness fills in a gap that the first witness missed so witness b i put it on your screen fills in the gap that's left by witness a and you see this in the gospels all the time you see an event happen and you read it in one uh, one of the gospels let's say in matthew you say well that doesn't make sense it seems like there's why would um uh for instance um jesus is on trial in front of caiaphas and uh and uh the, the the guard uh hits jesus i think this is in matthew you'd have to check but uh doesn't matter and the guard hits jesus and and he's told "Well, will prophesy who hit you well <laughs> how would he not know who hit him he just got hit by somebody uh but then when you read it in another of the of the synoptic gospels you see that he was blindfolded when he was hit ah so witness B dovetails with witness A and fills in a gap there. You see this especially in the trials of Jesus, where the four Gospels fit together almost like a jigsaw puzzle. And you can see that the different witnesses, I, when I say witnesses, I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are corroborating each other. And yet we know that these books were written totally independently of one another. The, the skeptics will agree e- even to that. Uh, they, it's not like they sat around in a room and say, okay, Matthew, you write this. No, Mark, you write this. No, Luke, you write this. No, John, you write that. It wasn't like that at all. written totally independently. And they, yet you see witness B uh, fills in the gap left over by witness A. And the last piece there, externally, is there any corroboration? Well, we've already seen some by looking at the book of Acts, but you can see detail after detail, minutiae, boring little details confirmed archaeology has confirmed things for us the writers of the new testament the gospels they clearly had a knowledge of the politics that can be corroborated by ancient history by archaeology even the geography even the topography even the names of of little towns and the way that they looked and the practices etc all this stuff can be or much of it can be corroborated externally so this is test number two Uh, to establish whether or not a witness is reliable okay there are two more that we'll go over uh next week and uh you you've hung in here so i hope this is shareable all right so i'm going to challenge you to hit that share button this is life changing when you understand it when you understand that you can pick up the gospels you can pick up the new testament and you can trust what is said, even though you say, "Well, there's all these miracles in there. How am I supposed to believe that those miracles took place?" We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, next Monday night. But this is foundational because when you when you have a faith that is based on truth, not how you feel, not your uh, particular circumstances, but you have faith because you trust what you are reading, and you have that based on reason. You have that based on thinking. You have that based on an understanding. It, then it doesn't matter what you're going through in life because you say, well, Lord, come what may, I still have faith. I still believe. And that's the ultimate goal. So I'm going to pray for you and uh, and finish up tonight. God, I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you for Each person who's who's watching and listening, those who are going to watch this later or listen to it later, and uh, Lord, I pray that your word and the record of your life would become real and powerful to people today, even in the 21st century. God, you are still alive. You are still ready and willing to transform lives who will seek you. And you promise us that you will be found by us if we seek you with all of our heart. And I pray for uh, Christians uh, that their faith would be strengthened and would be growing, especially as we move toward the Easter season together. We pray to that end. Amen. Well, God bless you tonight, and uh, again, happy International Woman's Day, and uh, we'll see some of you on Wednesday night as we continue our midweek Bible study. Uh, this is going to be Cultures in Conflict. If you do not have the Zoom link, reach out to me, and I will send it to you. And until we meet again, God bless you, everyone.